everyone. Welcome to a special in-person edition of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. All right, Joe, uh, we had SEC Media Days last week. We went into a little bit of it with Lane Kiffin last week. Uh, we're going to go into some of what happened with Auburn and Brian Harson. Before we get to that, we're going to look at some uh, NFL news that uh, uh, relates to a lot of these SEC programs. And the first one that I thought was a huge news was Julio Jones going to the box. Uh, of course, Julio was, you know, maybe one of the greatest receivers ever at the Atlanta Falcons after his stellar career at Alabama. And he got traded to the Titans, and it never really seemed to click for him. Uh, it was something that you would have thought would have been good because with Julio being a little older, he thought it would be a good foil to what they had with A.J. Brown. Never really seemed to take off. But now he's going to the box, and if there's one thing we know about Tom Brady, he gets in these veteran receivers – a lot of times ones that are way less stable than Julio Jones, who's about as steady Eddie as you get. And they tend to have real great renaissance at the end of their career. All Randy Moss, Antonio Brown, the list goes on and on. So I think this is a great marriage right here. No, absolutely, Dan. Um, like I told you before the show, he's going to fill that Antonio Brown void that was left, but without the drama that came with that, unfortunately. And this team also quietly added a Russell Gage, who's also a good receiver as well. So that wide receiver room right now in Tampa is just loaded. And even, you know, with the departure and retirement of Gronkowski, they look like they could be Super Bowl bound again. That's right, Joe. I mean, I think you were mentioning earlier that even with losing out on Gronkowski, they have Mason Rudolph, who's a really great uh, tight end, who's, who's a veteran, but still in the prime of his career, who did so many great things with the Vikings. And you put them in, you know, you pair that with, uh, with Julio, with Godwin, with uh, – with Evans, I mean, it's quite a wide receiver room they have down Tampa Bay right now. Yes, and a good offensive line as well. The defense added, you know, some draft picks. And so just a lot of depth, and you kind of see why Brady wanted to run it back. Yeah, I mean, he didn't get to do it last year, but he did come within one drive of beating ultimately the Super Bowl champions in the L.A. Rams. And it seems like he's coming back with maybe even more talent than he had before. And, you know, and fitting with our theme, those are all SEC receivers. Julio Jones, Alabama, Russell Gage, LSU. Of course, uh, Evan, Mike Evans uh, from A&M. And the list just goes on and on with what they have done in Tampa Bay right now. Absolutely. Uh, and, Joe, sticking with uh, some former SEC athletes in the, uh, in the NFL, um, you know, specifically Alabama, talking about Julio Jones, uh, really sad story, but, you know, maybe a hopeful one. Uh, John Matchy III, of course, uh, Alabama's uh, main standout receiver last year, been there for a couple years. Uh, unfortunately, he found out he's got a diagnosis of leukemia that's going to keep him sidelined for at least this season. And, you know, he was someone that I was expecting to have a really good rookie year. Um, you know, of course, he had that unfortunate injury in the SEC Championship game that kept him out of the playoff game against Cincinnati and then ultimately the rematch against Georgia when they lost. But until that time, for the last two years, he's been one of the more consistent receivers in Alabama. And one thing I've always liked about him is that he showed the willingness to be tough, to throw blocks. I mean, one of the plays, the play that I like, remember most when I think about John Mechie was in the SEC Championship game last year when they played Florida. It might have been the, game, the play of the game when Florida threw an interception, but Mechie uh, caught up to the linebacker that – that made the interception, delivered a vicious hit on him, dislodged the ball, and Alabama got the ball back. I think Alabama ended up scoring a touchdown there, and that was, was like a 14-point flip, essentially. 
and that was because Mechie was tough and never gave up on a play. Yeah, it's kind of like that Robert Meacham play back in the day for the Saints against Washington where he took the ball away from the defender after an interception. Those kind of plays are always underrated, you know, where the offensive player can force a turnover or play good on defense, you know, when the script flips. That's right, Joe. And, I mean, now he's going to need that toughness more than ever. But I was telling you about it before the show that uh, it's not unprecedented with these younger athletes, especially football players who get leukemia at a, uh, at a tender age that they're able to overcome it and come back and play. I mean, I remember there was a great player for Auburn, an offensive lineman named Sean Coleman. Uh, he was from up in uh, Olive Branch, Mississippi. And he got diagnosed with leukemia, I believe it was early on in his freshman year at Auburn. Didn't get to play for three years, but like he got that medical red shirt and then I think an additional red shirt. And he actually got to be a starter at left tackle for Auburn for three years and ultimately got drafted by the Browns in I think the late second round. And had a good NFL career, played for seven or eight years. And this is someone who had to deal with leukemia. And, you know, I'm sure that John Mech is getting the best medical treatment. And I think he, you know, he's going to have a better chance than just about anybody to come back and maybe to succeed in the NFL. Oh, absolutely, Dan. And that's a great precedent, you know, to think about on a positive note. And obviously, I think so many people, including us, are obviously rooting for Mechie, you know, to come back better than ever. I really want him to. I mean, he's, he's definitely a very impressive young man, a good wide receiver. And we wish him uh, the best in his recovery. And I hope that we get to see him on Sundays not too long from now. Definitely. All right, Joe. Um, and this is, you know, sticking with the SEC. Now we're talking about a former Texas A&M player, and that's Kyler Murray. And, you know, Kyler Murray, of course, has been, I think in my mind, much better in the NFL than I ever suspected that he would be. I always kind of thought, and you and I talked about this multiple times, he made the wrong decision to choose the NFL over baseball, where he was going to be the number one overall pick in the baseball draft. And, we, you know, baseball, like, you get paid more money, it's more guaranteed, it's a longer career, but the option to be a quarterback in the NFL. And I always thought with, what I saw with him when he played big defenses and what appeared to be an injury-prone nature. He's a smaller quarterback. It wouldn't work out, but he's been one of the better players in the NFL the last couple of years, and he cashed in big time with, I believe, a $250 million contract. Well, some uh, details of that contract got released uh, recently, and there's a very interesting contract provision that I don't know that I've ever seen in a player's uh, contract in the NFL. And that's that uh, Kyler Murray has to watch four hours of independent film on his own time every single week. Uh, Joe, have you ever heard about this before? And what do you think about this? Yeah, Dan, I have not. I think it's largely uh, unprecedented, uh, this kind of clause in a contract. And a great point I heard on another show this week is if you're going to give a player this kind of money and you're going to trust him, you know, 24, 25 years old for the considerable future, to be the future of your franchise, wouldn't you not want somebody that you, you know, didn't trust to study themselves? Like, do you want somebody where you're like, you have to put a clause in their contract in order to encourage them to study? Wouldn't you want somebody, you know, with the work ethic to do it anyway? So that's one thing that troubles me about this. Yeah, Joe, it's very strange. I mean, you wouldn't think you'd want to commit that much money for that period of a time for someone you wouldn't trust to do something basic like film study. I mean, obviously, there should, there's some stuff that they know about that we don't, but Kyler Murray's never seemed to me to be someone who's lazy or someone that, you know, just kind of has everything handed to him. And, I mean, you get, if you, to play quarterback in the NFL, you got to be pretty smart, be pretty hardworking. And to me, this just seems kind of extra. And I also think that 
it serves to maybe be a lack of motivation to Kyler Murray in some ways. I mean, you're showing that you don't believe that he would do this on his own time. And I just, I think that could harbor some, uh, you know, discord in the locker room and with his thoughts about the administration, it just seems wholly entirely unnecessary to me. Yeah, Dan, it's going to be an interesting situation to see how it unfolds over the next few years. And, you know, in the interim, you know, to your point, I think that Murray has definitely exceeded our expectations. He's performed well to his credit. Do I think he's worth this kind of contract? Probably not. But, you know, he's benefiting from the fact that, you know, teams are always desperate to find a franchise quarterback in the NFL. The way the market's reset, it's kind of like, you know, if I have a starter, I just got to pay him. You know, it's kind of expected that that's the going rate. That's right, Joe. I mean, uh, if you have a guy who's solid, you're going to pay him. And, you know, now it's, it's – I'm, I'm so fascinated now on that subject and what's going to happen with the Cleveland Browns and with the Carolina Panthers. Of course – you know, Cleveland traded their future to get Deshaun Watson with all the muddiness that's going on around him and the uncertainty of what is going to happen with them. And meanwhile, got rid of Baker Mayfield, who you can argue what he does out on the field, but he's the only one that's won a playoff game for them in, what, 40 years? Mm-hmm. And at times, I thought he was excellent. And now he's going to the Panthers, and you have Deshaun Watson, who may not get to play at all, and of course, they held on to him as long as they could. But I'm, you know, I'm almost more interested in what's going on in that Panthers room. Of course, they don't have Cam Newton anymore, but you have, uh, you know, you certainly have Sam Darnold coming off the injury, and now you're gonna have Baker Mayfield. And in my mind, I don't even know how they have the money to pay for all these people. Yeah, that's also a curious situation. Why they wanted to go out and add Mayfield when they drafted uh, Matt Corral, and they drafted Matt Corral too. Yeah, it's my understanding that the GM, the coaching staff, has told Corral that he's the future of the team because I don't think they're committed to Mayfield and Darnold past like a year or two from now. But it's still weird, you know, to have all of them competing against one another, and then also the situation in Cleveland is also odd. So definitely not, you know, neither franchise is in a great situation as far as the quarterback right now. That's right, Joe. I mean, you know, with Matt Corral, why would you draft him that high if you had the plan to go out and get someone like Baker Mayfield? I mean, I get having a Sam Darnold in there who has a lot of upside and is really good when he's not injured, but now you're bringing in someone who's been a much more successful quarterback than Sam Darnold's been in the NFL, and I I mean, to me, it just seems like, why did you draft Matt Corral at all? Yeah, it doesn't make sense because you can see having a bridge quarterback like Darnold, you know, if it works out great, but adding a Baker Mayfield kind of, uh, you know, congests the room a lot more. That's right. It's not like Baker Mayfield's 36 years old and has got three or four years left in his career. I mean, Baker's in here at 25. Yeah, mid-20s. Mid-20s, yeah. And he's he's got at least 10 years left in his career. And if he works out, then presumably Matt Corral's never going to see the field. So, uh, to me, it just seems like there's a lot of poor GM work going on at the Carolina Panthers right now. Without a doubt. All right, Joe. Uh, speaking of uh, poor timing, you know, you think about the fact that they go out and they draft Matt Corral. Suddenly, uh, you have the poor timing of the Browns going out and getting Deshaun Watson when he has all of these off-the-field issues and may not play again. And now, of course, Baker Mayfield is going to the Panthers. Uh, speaking, uh, Texas A&M comes to mind with Anaya Smith. Of course, we had SEC media days last week. And Nye Smith is one of the more dynamic players in America. Really great wide receiver. They also use him at running back. He also is a very solid kick returner. So, naturally, he was a choice of Jimbo. 
be one of the representatives for A&M at SEC Media Days. Unfortunately, the day before SEC Media Days, he gets arrested um, for a DUI where he was caught with possession of marijuana and I believe an unregistered firearm. And of course, he wasn't able to attend. And I'm sure that was probably a large percentage of what Jimbo had to talk about at SEC Media Days. And it's just a, a shocking thing for that to happen for someone who you put so much trust in at that time. And who it just, you know, it's a very, very weird thing to see that happen right before the SEC Media Day starts. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, hopefully he'll learn from it and come back from it. But at the same time, you know, it's a bad look for the program because you picked him, to your point, as a representative for your program. And it's not a good example to the rest of the team. And it also brings about a distraction, you know, because suddenly Fisher has to kind of, you know, re-script his answers and what he's going to say. And just the entire narrative, you know, shifts as far as what they talk about. That's right, Joe. And, I mean, you know, when you pick players for SEC Media Days, the idea is, of course, it's going to be some of your better players, but I think they really focus on character more than anyone else. You want exactly. someone that represents your university well, represents your program well, that shows what you're building and the kind of people that you want. And something like this happening, you know, I'm sure it's going to cause some people to have uh, some second thoughts about Jimbo Fisher's, like, view of people. And it definitely is an unnecessary distraction of what's an important day for them. Absolutely. All right, Joe, um, you know, someone that's had to deal with a lot of unnecessary and unfortunate distractions is Brian Orson. Uh, you know, the, he led off his, I thought he did just incredible. I kind of thought that he was the star of SEC Media Days because he, you know, he addressed the elephant in the room right off the bat. And I thought it was great. His opening line was, I'm sure a lot of you out there were not expecting to see me here at this time this year. <laughs> you were ridden me off. And he came out and he, you know, basically said, I'm going to talk about this one time. There was nothing to it. That's why they didn't, even though they tried to fire me and they tried to fire this thing, they couldn't find anything. And he said, you know, the people that I have left in this program are the people that care about me, that support me. And he had a very quiet confidence about him that I didn't see last year. You, you didn't really know what his coaching personality was, maybe seemed a little aloof. A little, a little aggressive and not really fitting in, but I thought he portrayed a lot of confidence and he seems like he really likes what he has in his team and with the kind of support that he's getting from the players now. Yeah, and speaking of that, you know, I thought he was very thoughtful with his responses. He came really prepared. Um, also, I told you before the show, I feel like a lot of coaches will get up there in a press conference and they'll say, you know, the cliche quotes like, you know, we want to win in the classroom and off the field but he was much more specific with the plan for his players. He's like, you know, we have groups that meet and have dinner together and the things that they do bond as a team. And that really, you know, impressed me about his player development. And then also, Dan, I mean, you feel like there's the motivation for him to come back and prove the doubters wrong. You know, the doubters are going to be there, you know, justifiably so because of what went on, you know, last offseason, thinking he was out the door in the way the season ended. You know, it kind of reminds me somewhat to what Mike Bianco went through at Ole Miss over the last year, albeit, you know, Bianco came into the season with Omaha or bus, you know, implications or uh, expectations. You know, Harson maybe doesn't quite have that pressure. He definitely has, you know, the pressure to get back on track and right the ship at Auburn. Absolutely, Joe. I mean, it was so fascinating. It was like a tale of two seasons with him. He started off the season at six and two, 
and vastly exceeded everybody's expectations. It took Penn State down to the wire. I was at that game. I thought it was a well-coached game for the most part and a really good performance in a rough environment. They go on the road. They beat up on Arkansas. They beat Ole Miss on the road. And, and it was just, you know, those are big top ten wins. And then all of a sudden the bottom fell out when they played A&M in a great defensive performance, but in one where Bo Nix probably had his first performance as an Auburn quarterback. Mm-hmm. And then once that happened, the wheels just fell off. I mean, the next week they blew a 28-3 to lead against Mississippi State, and they never recovered from it. And it's just so interesting. You wonder if they could have just somehow won that game against A&M, what could have been. You know, and instead they went the other direction. I know there was a Phoenix injury involved in it, but you know they ended up going six and seven. They really weren't that far from being a team that maybe was a ten-win team or a team that was even competing for the SEC West at one point. And you know, of course, they're going to look at that and say that's a coaching thing. Well, it is, but one of the big things that you have in your first year as a head coach is your locker room, and you see the guys that are tough, people that can deal with adversity. And obviously, with the amount of transfers, with the amount of coaches that left, there was a lot of people who weren't buying what he was selling. And that's the reason why you give a coach multiple years. And he just seems like he's so much more confident with people that he has left and with the direction in which the program is going now than what he had last year. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, it's going to be tough. You know, maybe he proves us wrong. Maybe he proves like, you know, the doubters wrong. The big thing I told you before the show, you know, is the SEC West is so stacked, you know, as far as uh, kind of the bottom teams and after, you know, go past Alabama, somebody's got to lose. And it's hard, you know, to figure out who that's going to be. And so, you know, I'm not, you know, shocked they would pick, you know, them necessarily to finish there. But there's that motivation for them, you know, to try to go out there and have one of those 2013 caliber seasons. I still, you know, am probably more skeptical of like LSU with Brian Kelly, not sold on that hire. I don't know how Mississippi State's going to look this year defensively. I mean, Auburn, I'll put it this way. You know, they always seem to win games, you know, that you don't see them winning. You know, they historically beat Ole Miss. And so there's no reason to think, you know, the bottom's going to fall out. But at the same time, you know, they still obviously have some work to do. That's right, Joe. And what's interesting to me is in a lot of ways, I think objectively they have a stronger team than they did last year. The offensive line is very experienced. I think most of them are fifth and sixth year seniors. Uh, They have – Two first-team All-SEC defensive linemen and Derek Hall from Gulfport has been a really good uh, defensive end. They also have, uh, you know, they have Burks that's on the defensive line that's good. You have Owen Papo, who's, I think, going to be a real great linebacker this year. He's someone that came in with a lot of expectations, but has been injured a lot, but is a real intelligent leader. I mean, I think he's, He's like started a couple of his own companies and he's someone that a lot of people respond to really well, which is one of the reasons he was there for SEC media days. And, you know, of course, you look at the running backs, uh, they have Tank Bigsby. And of course, they also have Jarquez Hunter. And so I think from a running back standpoint, they may have the best one to duo in in the SEC when it comes to running backs. And, you know, it's really going to come down to quarterback. But I think when you look at a lot of the position groups, they're in a better situation than they were last year. There's still a lot of uh, a lot of issues of wide receiver, which of course is their, their weakest position last year. But there's a lot of transfers that have come in. Uh, there's a, a devil in from Miami, and then I'm hearing these really good things about a receiver named Corey, Corey Moore, who came from LSU to Auburn, who everyone's really raving on. 
And of course, from a tight end standpoint, it's maybe the strongest group of tight ends that Auburn's ever had with their renewed emphasis on tight end with John Shaniel Sinker, who's a sixth year senior. And of course, uh, you have uh, Jake Fromm's little brother, Luke Fromm, and there's a lot of uh, tight end talent. And then also Landon King, who's like a hybrid tight end wide receiver. So I think that there's going to be, they're going to keep hitting the tight ends a lot, and we'll see what the wide receivers do. The good news for Auburn fans being on the wide receiver front is I'm really excited about the wide receiver coach hire they have now. They hired Ike Hilliard, who was just a fantastic player at Florida, uh, had a great NFL career. He won two Super Bowls with the, uh, the Giants, and he's been coaching the NFL for the last seven or eight years, and this is his first college job. And uh, by all accounts, the receivers are really listening to him because he's a guy that did it, you know. With the Steelers on the NFL level, is that he's been coaching? Yeah, he was with the Steelers uh, under Mike Tomlin for a long time. And so I was really happy with that hire because it's been a long time since Auburn has hired and what, in my mind, is a wide receivers coach who you know performed at the highest level with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a good hire. You know, Mike Tomlin and that Steeler, you know, track record speaks for itself. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that there's more depth on this roster than most people give them credit for. I think that most people have a tendency to look at a situation. If you don't know who the quarterback's going to be, it's like, you know, there's questions there. Honestly, Dan, if you look at teams in the SEC West, like there's five or six teams where um, if you told me they won nine or ten games, wouldn't shock me. If you told me they were four and eight, wouldn't shock me. Yeah. It's kind of the same with all this. It's kind of topsy-turvy, but that's what makes it a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. I mean, you have you have one certainty in the SEC West, and that's Alabama. I'm not saying it's certain they're going to a national championship or even win the SEC, but it's certain that they're going to be a team that wins 10, 11, 12 games. You yeah. know it's going to be the case with the amount of talent that they have on both the offensive and particularly the defensive side of the ball this year. Um, but you look at the rest of them, I mean, even A&M, who is, you know, put together this historic recruiting class, they're all still freshmen right now. And you don't have a real solid quarterback uh, for certain coming in there either. You mentioned LSU's in their first season. And I would say that, you know, if Harson can win seven or eight games, he's for sure okay. And, I mean, I think he has the possibility to win maybe as many as nine. He could win something like five. You're right. There's, like, a huge gap right there. But one thing I will say uh, for all the Auburn listeners out here, historically when people pick Auburn at the bottom, they tend to have good seasons. I don't know what it is about it. I've heard uh, Clay Travis describe Auburn as a tent revival where, <laughs> they, you know, they start talking a big game, they're terrible, but then suddenly they'll spring up out of nowhere where no one thinks that they're any good and have a great season. And the last time that Auburn was picked last in the SEC West was 2013. And, of course, that year Auburn was 13 seconds away from winning a national championship. And, of course, that would be great kick six and for Andrew and Aaron Hanks. That's right, Dan. I mean, it's going to be pressure, but at the same time, you know, you can't really bet against anybody right now in the SEC. And I do like the demeanor and poise of Harson. Like, I feel like a lot of coaches wouldn't have that at this point. Absolutely. I mean, with all the things that he went through, he could have justifiably been angry, aloof, not wanting to talk to people. But he really, I thought, took command of the situation and used it to his advantage to show his strength. And you see what all these players that sit up there – that, that had his back, that went against the administration, talked about how much they wanted him to be their head coach and the culture that he was building. You can see what they were responding to right there, and I was very impressed by it. Yeah, he doesn't like going there like looking guilty. He looks in there like, you know, like he has a fresh start and he's got confidence. 
That's right. I mean, if you ever had a us against the world mentality, he's got it this year, and I'm fascinated to see what he does. But at least in winning the press conference, he definitely did that this year. That's right. And speaking of winning the press conference, you can see Joe and I win every single online press conference uh, moving forward. You can also see all of our old episodes on Spotify. And, of course, you can watch the videos on our YouTube channel if you want to subscribe to the Dan and Joe Sports Show YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show and like our Facebook fan page. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.